Lord, where are you? Maybe this morning you're asking that question because you're not sure if God is real. And you're just wondering, God, where are you? If you're there, where are you? Maybe you're asking that as a way to kind of make fun of people who believe in God. And you, uh, you think, you look on at people who trust in God and you think, well, where is your God? You know, if you say that God is real, how come all of this is happening? How come that's happening? Where's your God? If you believe in God, why is that happening in your life? Where is God? Maybe this morning you're asking it because you're carrying burdens and pains that are so big and you just wonder, God, where are you now? Where are you in what I'm going through? Where are you in what I'm struggling with? Maybe this morning you look at the small number of Christians. Maybe the group of us here this morning compared to the amount that are um, in, in the, the whole of Wales. And you think, well, if, if this is true, where, where are you, God? Remember the census that came out last year for the first time ever? Less than 50% of people uh, ticked the box that said Christian. And uh, the big headline was that, you know, it dropped from 14%, from 57% in 2011 to 43% in 2021. And the headlines say, look, nobody believes anymore, less people believe. For those of us who go along to church, it's no surprise, is it? It's no surprise of those in the numbers, just less people are, are kind of nominal Christians now. But maybe we look at the numbers and you think, God, where are you? Maybe you're the only one in your class or in your school or in your work or in your family who are Christians. And you just think, God, this is hard. Where are you? What are you doing? Well, in this psalm, do you see that is what the opponents of God are asking God's people? Look at verse 2. It says, the nations are saying something. What are they saying? Where is their God? Where are you, God? So the nations are looking on on God's people. And remember, these psalms were sung at the time of the Passover, so they were to help reflect and think back at what God did to save God's people from Egypt and to think about that wonderful provision of the Exodus. And so they've just heard about in Psalm 114 about the, the trembling of the earth because of God's greatness. They've known about God's presence in the fiery pillar in night and the cloud by day. They've seen him part the sea, but now... Well, things have gone quiet. And they're saying, where's your God now? You might have heard about things he's done in the past, but where is he now? Well, in this psalm, God gives us the tools to be able to help us to deal with those questions. To help us with the doubts and the questions that arise uh, when we ask those things. How can we help? Um, how, where do we turn when we ask that question? One of the big themes of this psalm, can you see it's repeated a few times in verses 9, 10 and 11. Trust in the Lord. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, that's what God wants us to hear. Trust me. Trust me. Now hopefully you can flesh that out a bit as we look through this psalm. But that's the big theme that we're going to see. So how can we deal with that question? God, where are you? Well, God, in this psalm, wants us to look to four places... Uh, four things that for us to look to, uh, for us to answer that question, to deal with those, those struggles that we can have. The first place we're going to look is this. Look up to God. And we see this in the first three verses. Look up to God. In, in one way, that answer, the question to that um, question, where is God, is answered straight away. It's answered straight away in verse uh, three. 
So the nations say, those around are saying, where's your God? And verse 3 is the answer. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So what's the answer to the question? Well, straight away the answer is he's in the heavens. Now that's not just telling us his location, which is far away. But the point of that is saying, look, this is telling us who he is. Where is he? He's in the heavens and he is doing all that he pleases. That is, he is ruling and he is reigning. God is on the throne. He is in control. He does whatever he wants because he is all powerful. He is all reigning and he is all glorious. Verse one kind of fleshes that out a bit for us, doesn't it? Because it says this prayer, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. The people of God are singing God's praise. Why? Because his name is worthy. His name, that's his character, it's who he is. This is who you are, God, they're saying. And you are worthy of glory. What are you like? You are full of steadfast love. That is faithful, covenant love. A, a covenant is something that God says, I'm, this is, I'm committed to you and I'm not giving up on you. I am a God who is committed to you. I am a faithful God. So he says, look, this is who I am. And God's people are reminding themselves, God, you are in the heavens. You are a faithful God. You are a God who is loving and kind and won't do anything um, that goes against your character. And so when you pull that together, you say, look, you can trust God. With all the questions we have um, spinning around our head, you can trust him. Because his character is the same. God remains the same. He is somebody we can trust whatever we're going through. Now, the idea that God's character stays the same and God doesn't change is hugely helpful for us. We can trust in his unfailing love. Trust in his steadfast love. A few months ago, when Lisa and I were away on our little break, we were landing in, we came to land in Bristol Airport. And as we came to land in Bristol Airport, um, we were kind of looking out the window. And if you've been in an aeroplane, you know that it's mostly cloud, isn't it? And then you break through the cloud and you see the land. Well, we were coming down. And as the lower we were coming, the land still wasn't coming into view. It was just cloud everywhere. And then the, uh, the pilot said this. Um, we've got some fog. Uh, got a lot of fog in a low-lying fog in Bristol. So we're going to let the aeroplane land for us. As we said, and he said something like this was his comment. It's pretty good these days doing that. It's like, oh, pretty good. Oh, that's good news. But anyway, so what had to happen? We were coming into land, couldn't see a thing. The land was not there and on our, in our vision. And yet, then we came in on automatic landing and we bounced down. I say bounced down. We landed safely. But as you looked out the window, you thought, where's the land? Where's it gone? Well, it was still there. Even though we couldn't see it, this computer on the aeroplane could guide us into land. You know, it's often in our lives, we can't see what God is up to. We can't see what he's doing. Does it mean he's not there? Well, no, God's word is telling us this morning, he is in the heavens, he is reigning, he is in control. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing, even if you can't see it, even if you don't understand it. The 19th century preacher from London, Spurgeon, said this in these wonderful words. He says, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we don't understand what he's doing, when we can't understand where he might be or what he's up to, we know that his heart is good and we know that we can trust him. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. 
Right? Perhaps today you're going through something and you're wondering, God, what are you up to? And you can't trace his hand. It just doesn't seem to make any sense to you at all. But God's word to us today is telling us, God hasn't changed. He is still in control. He is still reigning in heaven. And he is doing what he pleases. And we can trust him. He is looking at the big picture. And we only see a small part. Now remember, as we're reading through these Psalms, we're also listening to Jesus singing them. What difference does that make? How does that help us? Well, Jesus sang these words with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And when you hear the nations say, in verse 2, where is their God? Isn't it interesting to think that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he heard taunts very similar. Listen to this in Matthew 27. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross uh, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires. For he has said, I'm the son of God. What are they saying to him? Come on, where's your God? Where are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? Jesus knew as he was singing these very words that the disciples would flee. They would leave him. He'd be on his own. And Jesus would cry out to his father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Now, why is that helpful for us to think Jesus sang these words and knew these words? Well, it shows today, if you feel like um, God's people here, where the nations are taunting them and saying, where's your God? Maybe you've been in that conversation and somebody said, yeah, but how can your God do this? Be, be around if this happens? Jesus knows what it feel like to, feels like to be there. He knows it's like to feel that question, that taunt. Not only that, but Jesus knows what it's like to ask that question. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? He's been where you've been. He's been where we are. He gets it. And so when we pray, God, I don't understand. I want to believe and I want to trust your heart because I can't trace your hand. But I find it hard. The, the God man in heaven, Jesus, knows what it's like to ask that. And that draws us close. He's not distant and far and uncaring, but he gets it. And when we think of the question, well, where is God? See, we can say, as we've read already today in Joshua, that I will be with you wherever I go. God will not forsake us because on the cross, Jesus took what we deserved. He was forsaken so that you never would be. So if we're wondering, God, where are you? We can look to the cross and say, well, he won't forsake me because Jesus was forsaken in my place. So where is God? <coughs> the first place we're told to look is look to God. Look to his character. Look up to the heavens. God hasn't changed. And Jesus singing that gives us that depth of, of amazement that God knows us like to ask these questions too. So look to God. Look up to God. That's the first place. The second place is this in verses 4 to 8. Look to the alternatives. Look to the alternatives. So we're asking the question, God, where are you? And, and maybe that, uh, as, it's, as it's used here, is used as a taunt, and maybe people have made fun of you for believing in God and, and mocked you for it. The nations around were looking at Israel struggling. They were looking at them looking weak and feeble, things not going their way. And they say, where's your God? What is he up to now? Well, the psalmist's kind of tactic here is to turn that question round and to ask the, the people asking that question, okay, well, tell me where your God is then. Where's your God? What is your God up to? 
Because the nations around Israel would have worshipped idols. They'd have worshipped gods. But these, these gods were gods that they'd made up. They were idols. You see that in, in verse 4? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. So they would have made um, idols to worship. Remember, they'd come from, God's people would have come from Egypt where uh, everything was, loads of different gods and idols were worshipped, the people made. And so um, the Psalms are saying here, look, you might mock and say, where is your God? But what about your gods? What are your gods up to? What are they doing? So you might uh, listen to what he says. He says, um, uh, he says, look, what are your gods up to? They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears that don't hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They don't make a sound in their throat. See, these idols that you worship, they can't do anything because you've made them yourself. They're worthless. And the psalmist says, look, he asks the question, where is your God? Now, everything, everybody in the world worships something. Everybody. The Bible says, uh, shows us, doesn't it, that, um, that we were created to worship God. And so if we remove God, it doesn't mean we don't worship anything. It means we'll find something to worship. Uh, John Calvin, the theologian uh, from the 16th century, said, Our hearts are idol factories. They just keep on making idols, gods, for us to worship. That is, what is uh, whatever we live for, what we find our hope in, what we look to to give us Peace, what we look to to give us security, that is our God. That is the thing that we're looking to rescue us. What is it this morning that is the most important thing in your life? Not what should the most important thing be, but what actually is functioning as your God this morning. Where are you turning? Where are you looking? Where are you turning for hope and purpose and meaning? Now, today, in our society, we might not craft things and idols out of gold to bow down and worship, but there are so many things in our life that can have the place of God, aren't there? What is it this morning that if it was taken away from you, you wouldn't be able to go on? What is it that um, you just think if you were to lose that, your world would fall apart? And you see, that is your God. And actually, it is shaky ground that you're building your life on. Perhaps this morning it's financial comfort and success. Just get into a position where you've got enough money so you don't have to worry, as it were. But actually, what happens when that money goes? What happens when um, there's not enough money? Or you think you need more, but you get that and it's not enough. Maybe today your hope is in your family, your children, your grandchildren. Maybe it's in uh, your image and how you appear to other people and how other people think of you and perceive you. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in or that you're longing for. And you're just thinking, look, this is going to be the answer to all my problems. What is it that worries you the most? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that gets you most angry? As we ask these questions, we're searching our heart to see what is most important. Because we discover our idols. We discover our little G God. Can you see what's happening? We've crafted something. We've made something. There isn't a real God into our purpose and our meaning. And the problem is this. It controls us. We do whatever it says. And so if our goal now along is, if I could just get financial security, we will do whatever it takes to get more money. 
whether it's working longer hours and sacrificing time with loved ones, whether it is um, giving up on friendships and relationships because of getting to this state of financial security. We will give whatever it takes to get and, and find this goal. If our goal is all about a relationship, we will sacrifice anything else, even other friendships, for this one relationship. And if we put all our eggs in that basket, as it were, then we put so much pressure on it, put so much longing on it. And when that idol lets us down, what happens? Our world falls apart. When it doesn't give us what we thought it would, we are left empty. We might think, if I get this, it'll fill me up and satisfy me. But then we get it and it doesn't, and our idol is seen as worthless. It can't speak to us. It can't help us. It doesn't have eyes, it can't see, it, you know, it just, as, these, as we're shown how worthless the idol is here in verses 4 to 8. This last well, a week ago, I think, wasn't it? The Oscars were on. And so there they were, everybody in Hollywood, uh, longing to get this prize to tell everybody how great, um, tell everybody and show them how great they were. Well, many years ago now, uh, an actor called Matt Damon was interviewed. And Matt Damon won an Oscar when he was 27 years old. And um, the, he said this, the night he won the Oscar, I couldn't sleep. And I remember very clearly looking at that award and thinking, imagine chasing that and not getting it, and getting it, not getting until your 80s and you're in your 90s, and then realise what an unbelievable waste. It can't fill you up. It's that hole you have, but that can't fill it. So here he was, Matt Damon thinking, I'm so glad I've won this when I'm young, because if I thought that's what life was all about, and I was living my whole life to get this Oscar, and then I realise, oh, it's not all that they said it would be. What a waste. What is it in our lives? What is it in your life? today that you think if I just had that and you're doing whatever it takes anything to sacrifice to get that see verse 8 says isn't it those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them we become what we trust in it controls us it shapes us and we'll do whatever it takes maybe God in his love today is bringing us to this passage just to show us to show you in your life this has become too important. This has become too much. It's controlling me. And I, you know, you know, he's showing me just, just how empty it is. You see what it promises. You see what it's promised over the years and it's just let you down. Now, again, when we come to this passage, we're asking, well, what did it mean that Jesus sang these words? How does that help us to get deeper into this and looking at the alternative? But when we think of the comparison between the idols and the true God, what do we see? Well, here is a God, as Jesus sang, they have mouths but do not speak. But Jesus is God in the flesh. He had a real mouth. He really spoke. He had eyes that saw. He had ears that heard. Uh, he had a nose but, and smelt. He had hands, hands that nails were driven through. This is the true God and he came. Where is your God? Jesus' answer is, I'm here, I've come, and you can see me in the flesh. And also when we see this, these idols, they promise everything. They say, look, give your life to me and I will give you the happiness that you long for. They might not say it out loud, but that's what we believe. And so we give everything and they let us down. What happens when we fail our idols? Maybe it's looking for that promotion in work and we, we long for it, we long for it, and we fail. And we feel crushed and empty and a nobody. What happens when you fail the true God? He comes again 
He bends down to us and picks us up and says, come on, I forgive you. Try again. You know, he picks us up, doesn't he? There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's a second chance, there's a third chance, there's a fourth chance, there's a fifth chance. There's grace with God. When we look to Jesus, that's who we see, the God who is willing to forgive. These idols promise everything and they give nothing. Jesus promises everything and he gives his very life. When you compare our idols to Jesus, they pale into insignificance, don't they? Jesus is greater. He is the one. So when we hear that taunt, where is your God? First thing to do is to ask, well, where, where is your God? What's your God doing? What has he done for you? Really, truly. And then we hear Jesus say in these words, and we realise he has given everything for us. Maybe as you, uh, this morning, you, f- you found yourself kind of drifting away from him. It brings me back to these words in John 6. In the start of John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children, so there could have been 20-odd thousand people there. And he feeds them all. There's crowds and crowds following Jesus. He is on the crest of that wave. But by the end of the chapter, when they listen to what he's teaching, they end up drifting away from him. And by the end, it's just Jesus and his disciples by the end of chapter 6. And Jesus turns to them and says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? You are the one who speaks truth. You're the way, the truth and the life. Of course I'm going to trust in you. So look up to God. When we're asking this question, where are you? Look up to God. Secondly, we need to look to the alternatives and see how empty they are. The third place to look is this. We look to God's people. Look to God's people. In verses 9 uh, down to 15 or 16 there. Uh, the psalmist turns and actually says, Israel, that's God's people, Israel, verse 9, trust in the Lord. House of Aaron, verse 10, trust in the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, trust in him. So he's saying, God's people, you need to trust in the Lord. Why? Well, verse 12, because he will bless us and he has remembered us. He has remembered us. He knows he is good. Look at verse 13. He says, he will bless those who fear the Lord, small and the great. Whoever we are, God will look after us. He has remembered you. He knows your situation and you can trust him. So when we're wondering where God is, one of the places we can look is we look to his people. Why? Well, when we look to his people, we see God at work in a clear way. Remember, the Bible teaches this. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, he is going to work in you. He's going to change you from the inside out. He's going to change your desires, make you long for things that he loves and hate things that he hates. I'm going to be made more and more like Jesus. And he says, if I start a work in you, I will bring it through to completion. So that means in every Christian's life, God is always at work and he is doing things in their life to help them and challenge them and encourage them to make them more like Jesus. He's always at work. And that means as we share together what God is doing, we get evidence of God being at work. Where is God? He's at work in his people. He's present with his people. Remember in 1 Peter 2, it says this, you yourselves, he's talking to the church there, are like living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Or in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. 
In the Old Testament, remember, God dwelt in a special way in the, tem- in the temple. Tabernacle then became the temple. That's where God's presence was. Where does he dwell now? Not in buildings, but in his people. In his people. That is why when I was younger and went to visit my brother out in, he was in Africa, we went and um, on Easter Sunday went to a church in the middle of a rubbish tip. And they were praising God. Was God present there because they didn't have a fancy building? Not at all. Uh, yes, yes, he was. He was definitely there, sorry. The opposite of what I said. He was definitely there. Was God there? Yes. He was present with his people. He was present because God's people is where he dwells in a special way. And that means that we don't want to miss out on God talking to us. We don't want to miss out on God's presence. So when God's people meet together, that's why he says in Hebrews, don't neglect meeting, meeting together. What a privilege to be where God, God's people are. To hear God speaking, to make his presence known. So when we're asking God, where are you? Don't isolate yourself. But come to God's people and see and remind ourselves, he's remembered me. He will bless us. He is looking after us. He will make his presence known. And as we remember that God works through his people, we remember it's not, we're not on our own. We've got other Christians with us here in my stake. We're looking at them now. But also part of the wider church. And God is at work through his people all over the world. You know, there are um, places, you know, I started by thinking about the, the census in this country. And it's kind of going down to people who acknowledge and say they are believers and trusting in Jesus. But when you, if you were to do ask that question in loads of other countries in the world, it would be the total opposite. So the fastest growing church we think at the moment in the world is in a country we might not expect. It's in Iran. Where is God's, where is kind of God, God's work growing in an amazing way? In Iran. Just 40 years ago, they think there's probably about 500 believers there. You know, Christians um, from, a, from a Muslim background there in Iran. And after prayer, and after God working, after immense in persecution, they now think there's probably uh, close to a million uh, believers. Think of that growth in 40 years. It's colossal. One lady said that she was um, put in prison for, um, because she was, trying to, uh, she was part of the house churches there in Iran. And she said while she was in the prison cell, um, she, could, she was just aware of the global church praying for her. And praying for them in Iran. And instead of her faith being weakened by the time she came out of prison, she felt so much nearer to God. We're part of a bigger church. We, we look at God's people and we see where is God? He's with his people. Now we might not see him move in the same way from 500 to a million in 40 years. But we see God working. And we need to keep our eyes kind of abroad as well. To see what God is up to. To see what he's doing. Because we are, on, uh, we are part of the worldwide church. That's why verse 15 and 16 say, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth he has given to the children of man. We're on the winning side, on the side of the, the one where God is going to give everything to those who trust in him. Now as we might feel forgotten by God, we look at God's people and we say, he, has, he is at work. That's why we need to share together about what he's doing in our lives. Share encouragements and discouragements. Share together because God's at work. It's so encouraging to hear how God is working in our lives. Because it reminds us, as it says here, God, the Lord, verse 12, has remembered us. 
Now just pause there for a moment and think on that. God knows and he's remembered you this morning. Maybe you feel totally forgotten about and you're crying out with these nations. Where are you, God? Listen to those words. The Lord has remembered us. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. And he's still asking and talking to you this morning, reminding you of that truth. Now, before we look at our last brief point, let's ask again for this point. Well, Jesus sang these words. How does that give us an extra depth to this? Well, think of what it cost Jesus to save his people, to save the church. How are we saved? By Jesus giving his life, shedding his own blood. People are, his people are precious to him. And he loves us dearly. And so as he was there singing with the disciples, he knew that in a few hours he was going to be arrested. He knew that in a few hours he was going to be rejected by the people he loved and his Father in heaven so that uh, we would be saved. And he knew that as he looked to the future, as it were, God's kingdom would keep on growing. The church would grow and grow and grow. Look to God's people. When we're wondering, God, where are you? Look up to God. Look up to the alternative. Look to God's people. And the last place is look to eternity. When we're wondering where God is, it's so important to have this perspective. Look at verse 17 and 18. It talks about where we will be forever. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any will go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What happens to those who trust in idols? What can the idol do when we face our death? What can your work or your finances do when you face the ultimate statistic? Well, we just go down into silence. There's no praising of God there. If we reject God in this life, if we turn away from him, then we are going to end away from him for eternity, what the Bible calls hell. That's what we choose. But if we turn to him now, he says, look, you can be and trust in me forever and know my nearness forever. See, those who trust in God, what does he offer us? What does he give us? Hope from this time forth and verse 18, forevermore. See, to help us to keep going when we're wondering, God, where are you? We remember the big, big picture of eternity. I've said this before, but imagine we've got a line that starts here in this building and it goes all the way to London, okay? One, one line. And then we get a really sharp pencil and we put a little dot on that line. Let's imagine that line represents eternity. It doesn't because eternity would go on forever, yeah? But I'm just trying just to give something for us to picture. And that dot is our 80, 90, 100 years, however long God gives us in this life. Are we living for the line or the dot? What is most important? What, what is it that drives our, our priorities? See, when we realise that actually it's the eternity that matters, it puts everything else into perspective. And here is one, a God who says, look, trust in me, turn to me, and I can help you with the forever. What can your idol do with forever? What can what you're trusting in do with life beyond this life? Well, only Jesus is the one who can help us. And again, as we think of Jesus singing this, do you realise what it does? It shows us that I'm the one who makes it possible for you to know that you can live and be with me forever. I took the sting of death away. I died so that you could live. I gave my life 
so that you could know life forever with me. He's conquered death. He has defeated Satan so that we can trust in him forever more. So where is God? How do we answer that question? Well, today, let's look up to God and his character, who he is. He never changes. Let's look, up, look at the alternatives and look to God's people where he is present and look to forever, look to eternity and see there the priority that Jesus wants to guarantee that we're right with him forever. Are you trusting in him today? Have you looked to Jesus, the one who sung this with the disciples and gives us that depth of meaning to show this is something you need? Don't leave here without being right with him. And you can sing those last words and say, he will bless us from this time forth and forevermore. Not that our life will be easy without problems, but that we know that one day we'll be with him forever in our true home in heaven. So let's pray as we come and sing our last song together.